Presents a music and talk show where your host Darren Roebuck is joined by a variety of artists, scientists, entrepreneurs, and therapists as they share what's on their minds and give you new ideas and practices to help you get the most out of being you. Can you dig it? Be sure to visit deeporbitstudio.com for links, show notes, and more. Now sit back and take in the view while we blast off into Deep Orbit. Welcome to Deep Orbit Studio Presents. I'm your host, Darren Roebuck, and tonight, well, tonight, because it is super snowy and cold here in Colorado and the roads are treacherous, my guest, who will be here in two weeks, won't be joining us tonight. However, I've got wonderful tales to tell you and some beautiful music to play, and we're going to have fun anyway. So, snuggle on up close to the radio and snuggle up close to someone else. Pour yourself a favorite beverage and just get ready because we're going to go into the land of hither and non. Um, well, sort of. As many of you know, or actually, I, as far as you guys go, I think none of you know that I had a career as a rare coin dealer. Um, rather strange, you might say, because Deep Orbit Studio is all about digital arts, and that's, of course, what I do now, and occasionally dabble in rare coins on the side. Um, it's a fun thing, it's a great skill to have, and uh, it's certainly something that surprisingly leads one to compile some very interesting stories. For a long time, I was the buyer for a rare coin company here in Colorado, although we did our uh, business nationally, and I was a buyer. So I would fly around the country, and I would go into people's homes, and I would purchase their coin collections. This led to some rather interesting encounters. So I'm going to tell you a few stories about these encounters from the road, as well as play just some of my favorite songs. As, our, um, as my guests usually play favorites of theirs, tonight I'll be my own guest. Um, so... <clears throat> That, without further ado, uh, let's jump in. One of the interesting things about rare coin people is that often they fall into certain demographics. Um, conservative. You would think wealthy, but actually it tends to be middle class, agrarian. And then psychologically speaking, you come across hoarders. And the hoarders are very interesting. And going into a hoarder's home is really interesting. Uh, I went to one here in the Denver area that was absolutely stunning to me. Uh, I walked in the door. And when I walked in, it was the small bungalow house in sort of a uh, lower income area of northern Denver. And as I I knock on the screen door and I hear a voice saying, come in. And so I open the door and I walk inside and it's a little dark and I'm noticing that 
you know, as I watched, you know, I was watching my step as I walked in and I noticed that the carpet had been worn all the way to the carpet fiber and that the little bit I could see was this green carpet that looked like it was from the 1950s or 60s. As I looked to my left and right, I saw stacks of newspapers from the floor to the ceiling. And these stacks are all over the house. They're consuming the kitchen. There was no way to cook anything in the kitchen. It was all stacked up on the, all the counter space, on, all the, on the stove. The sink was the only part of the kitchen and the refrigerator that were accessible. I look around. The living room is completely full. And I say, hello. And I hear the same voice going, hello. It was like this sort of sweet woman's voice. And I look around. I don't see her. I say hello again, and she leans forward, and there was a regular sofa, you know, sort of a three-seat sofa, two-thirds of which was covered with stacks of newspapers, and the newspapers literally went all the way to the ceiling. So I'm sort of in like this forest of newspaper stacks, and from the edge, from the edge of this couch, I notice an obese woman. Now, the only reason why her being obese is actually relevant to this is the fact that I couldn't see her when I walked inside. She was hidden by all of this stuff. I say, hi, I'm, I'm here to buy the coin collection. She's like, OK, go on back. So I walked through what was essentially a hallway through the newspapers to a hallway in the house and I come to a door. I look in the door and there's my client. Sort of an older man also obese, um, who is sitting there in his bathrobe and tidy whities and I only know this because his bathrobe was not tethered shut. He sits in a room with a sink right in front of me, right in front of the door, and a toilet to the right of me, and there is no separation from the room, from the toilet, from the rest of the room. On all horizontal spaces in the room are the amber-colored pill bottles that one would get from the pharmacy. He has a war movie on at, at a really, you know, inappropriately loud volume. And he's sitting there, his bathrobe not pulled, in his tidy whities saying, hey, how's it going? So, uh, at that point, it was really hard for me to give an honest answer of, oh, I'm doing pretty good, <laughs> because I really wasn't sure about what I was doing in these people's home. But we go through the few coins he has, and as he starts going through, and as we are talking, uh, he reveals to me that he had been on the police force for a long time, that uh, he was of poor health, which of course I had already discerned from the uh, amber-colored bottles, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, something's wrong about this. As we continue, he starts to reveal to me that he is a stone-cold card-carrying racist. Not only is he the stone-cold card-carrying racist, but he assumes I'm one too. So he starts spewing out all of this hate speech in his tidy whities with his bathrobe not drawn um, with the war movie going on. And I'm sitting here supposed to, you know, evaluate these rare coins and figure out what they're worth and make him a fair offer on these while I'm sitting on a uh, little stool next to his toilet. And uh, incidentally, my desk in this case was the edge of the sink. 
I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why am I here? And I'm fighting every nerve in my body to just remain in the room. But I follow through, trying to remind myself to be professional, that they're all the same. Coins are just coins, and the people don't really matter. But in this case, it really did. And although his wife was sweet, and I liked her, and I recognized that hoarding is a pathology, and that was something I could overlook, I could even overlook his sense of hygiene and decorum. I could even overlook his sense of having a war movie on during a business meeting at an inappropriately loud volume. I could even... Actually, I was having a really hard time overlooking the fact that I was sitting on a stool next to his toilet and my desk was his sink. I couldn't overlook the racism. And as a result, I added up his coin collection and I thought, this is awful. This is awful. I've been subjected to far too much in this case that I feel like I need retribution. So I made him an offer. And I did not expect him to accept my offer because I made him an offer that was basically 20 cents on the dollar because he assumed I was a racist. He was speaking to me in these horrible, horrible language and assuming I was just going to go along with it. And at that point, I felt like I needed to do something about it. So I made him a super, super low offer, which, to my surprise, he accepted. What to do then? Well, I wrote him a check. I took the coins, and I walked out as fast as I could, and I sat down in my car for a second, and I really thought, this was the most horrible moment of my career. And as I drove home about 30 minutes to my house, I just kept shivering and shaking and thinking, I need therapy after that. That was really horrible. I would just visited a part of humanity that I never, ever thought existed. Now, of course, I try to hold compassion in my heart for the disabled, and I try to hold compassion in my heart for people that have mental deficiencies compared to what people would, for lack of a better reason, lack of a better word, call normal society. But, you know, I just don't have any space in my heart for people that hate other people. And that was what made me feel so gross. And I needed some sort of consolation. My consolation came in the form of song. And here is one of the songs that brought me back to feeling like myself again. Enjoy this, everyone.
Well, you gotta love the Beatles, and if you need to get through a rough patch, that song will always get you there. So, in talking about the tales from the road, tales of woe and misery and mischief and whatnot, um, some of the worst incidents actually happened right here in my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. Well, it's the place I call home now, of course, and uh, I find that um, when I'm here in Boulder, well, you know, that people around me are very much liberal, they're very much educated, and they tend to fall into a segment of society that is rather pleasant to deal with. But there's pockets of Boulder that don't fit the stereotype that one would ordinarily associate with the bubble. And it was one of these people that I happened to meet one day uh, and they called me up and said they had a coin collection and they wanted me to come over there and make them an offer on it. And I said, sure, it was right down the street, not a problem. So I get in my car, I drive to the address, I find that it's a, it's a small uh, trailer compound, which not a big deal. There's actually a few of them here in Boulder that are really quite nice. I mean, I'd like to have one of the trailers in one of these places. It's pretty cool, you know, it's sort of a wooded area and it was just a few of these uh mobile homes and it really felt like uh, it felt like one could live sort of an idyllic camping kind of existence in this place and I pulled up thinking pretty cool so I walk up I knock on the door the door opens and there's a man standing in boxer shorts a t-shirt holding a 45 caliber handgun I say, hi, I'm here to buy the coins. He's like, come on in. So I'm standing there thinking to myself, this is a man in his underwear.
This is a man in his underwear holding a gun, asking me to bid on his coins. Now, of course, I thought this was a business meeting, and I assume most people think that a business meeting requires at least being clothed, and in this case, he might have thought he was. I personally didn't think so. Unless, of course, the gun was the thing that made him feel more fully clothed, or maybe he just didn't go to the same finishing school that I did. Either way, I tried not to judge. I sat down, I look at the coins, but I can't help but keep an eye on the gun that he's holding. And I'm looking on the table, there in his trailer, and I see ammunition. I'm thinking, the gun's loaded. And clearly, it was his sense of security. I tried to ignore the weapon, but you know, I couldn't help but feel a little, a little put off by the fact that he needed to hold a weapon on me in order to get a fair deal. In my entire career of being a rare coin dealer, this is some 16 years now, and having done well over a thousand deals, only twice have I not gone with the industry standard of the type of profit margin that I should work with when purchasing a collection. The first one was for the racist that I just told you about. The second one was for this gentleman because he held a gun on me while we negotiated his, his deal. And once again, I assumed that I would just make a lowball offer and walk out without the collection, because at that point, I really just wanted to leave. It's, you know, it's unsettling to sit there when someone holding a gun on you in their underwear. But I made him my offer, and once again, he accepted it. And I wrapped up my stuff, and I got out of there as fast as I could, and once again drove home thinking, something about that just wasn't right. And you know what? It wasn't right. Fortunately, that was the only time someone actually held a gun on me. But not the, not the only time someone's been armed at a coin deal. Now, lots of coin dealers carry guns. I personally do not. I don't see any reason to shoot anyone at all unless they're really trying to harm me. And if someone's coming to try to steal my stuff, I'll say, hey, take it. It's just stuff. And the owner of the company that I was working for at the time, I told him flat out when he asked me to get my concealed carry permit and to carry a gun that I absolutely would not, that if someone was going to try to steal his coins from me, I would just give them away. He said could, if I could at least let them beat me up a little bit so it looked good for insurance purposes, and I responded with no response. So as I did rather often, I flew out to California to uh, visit a handful of people out in uh, the desert area in Southern California, the Mojave Desert, and a little north of there, which in the last, say, 10 to 15 years has really become overrun with meth houses. As a result, the people there that uh, have lived there for a long time and happen to have coin collections have become very fearful of being robbed, as one would expect when there's a preponderance of meth heads around. So I went to go visit uh, what seemed to be a nice family, and I met them at one house, and they took me to another house, which uh, seemed fair enough since this one gentleman was the son of the holder of the coin collection, and he wanted to make sure that I was on the up and up before 
taking him over to his mother's house, which was clearly a nicer place and had many valuable things. After meeting me, he of course felt like he was perfectly fine with bringing me over to his mother's house, and there we went. Sort of oddly, compared to most deals where most people would have me sit at the dining table or at the kitchen table where there's plenty of light and, you know, people just hang out, I was taken into the garage. A little strange because they raised the garage door, which of course made us completely visible to the entire neighborhood, but it was a nicer sort of country club kind of neighborhood and apparently they felt safe with the neighbors. I personally wasn't so sure about that, but I'm a trusting sort, so I let... I went along with it. Then, much to my surprise, they pull out the guns. Yes, the guns. And they weren't exactly pointing them at me, but they were making it well aware that they were armed and that I wasn't going to get away with any shenanigans. I sat there and looked at them like, well, whatever, I'm just here to do a coin deal, which is mostly a math problem. So... I sat down and started focusing on that stuff at hand. They, for some reason, couldn't seem to leave the idea of the guns well enough alone. So they're showing me the guns. They're also showing me where they have guns hidden. Then this one guy, who was the grandson of the person who owned the collection, was brandishing a, uh, oh, I don't know what caliber it was, but it was sort of just a, like a handgun you'd expect to see on TV in sort of a military type of uh, drama or something, you know, just sort of a square looking, uh, pistol. And I looked at him and I said, is that gun loaded? He said, yes. And I said, may I see it? And he said, sure. And he handed it to me. Well, at that point I proceeded to dislodge the clip from its encasement. I proceeded to pop the, uh, one, uh, chambered round out of it, which popped up in the air, and I caught it, and I set all of these down on the table and went right back to work. This young man was rather impressed by that display, and at that point, I was his best buddy. Not only was I his best buddy, I was his best gun buddy now, and he starts telling me about all of the illegal weapons that they had, and he starts running into another room and coming back with all of these weapons to show me because all of a sudden he gets to play show and tell with his new best gun buddy. I kept trying to remind him that I was only there to evaluate the coin collection, but that didn't seem to stop him from wanting to show me all of the guns. So there we were in the garage with the door up in the middle of the afternoon in uh, a rather upscale neighborhood just north of the Mojave Desert in California with two people who were brandishing weapons, brandishing illegal weapons, and then, as one might expect, they offered me pie. That's right, pie. Homemade apple pie, as a matter of fact. And that's not all. They also had a homemade Boston cream pie. And then they had fried chicken. And since I was their best gun buddy friend, and it took a couple of hours to go through this whole collection, why they're serving me food and they're talking to me about their guns, and somehow along the way I was able to actually evaluate the coin collection and make them an offer, which they accepted, and I was on my merry way. In the couple of hours it took for me to drive from the desert to where I was staying uh, in the Los Angeles area, I couldn't help but remarking about how it went from brandishing weapons and not trusting me to showing me all of their illegal weapons and then giving me pie. What other industry allows for such congenial hosts? I don't know of one.
Perhaps you can tell me. Either way, here on Deep Orbit Studio Presents, we always like to share sides of life that you don't ordinarily see, and hopefully we can bring you something that educates and enlightens your life. I don't know if the, how these stories might enlighten your life, but it certainly enlightened mine. Well, that being said, maybe I can enlighten your life with one of my favorite artists. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard of the Gorillas, and their main vocalist is a guy named Del, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. He and a producer named Automator uh, made a concept album at one point, which, as just as albums go, I think is one of the coolest sounding albums of all time. Um, and as concept albums go, it's just brilliant. It's called Deltron 3030. And it's all about Dell and Automator winding up in the year 3030 and explaining what life is like there. Uh, this is one of my favorite tracks off of the album. It's called Positive Contact. And uh, I will regale your ears with its little bit of loveliness. Uh, you'll want to lace up your dancing shoes for this one and, of course, clear off a little space because it is one funky groove. So here's Deltron 3030 with Positive Contact. Deep Warp Studio presents right here. You gave me no band. Check it out, y'all. Now let's see. Deltron Z, Art Avenger. Let's start the adventure. Pinch up with nerve gas, absurd blast, crash spacecraft. I'm bio enhanced. Pyro advanced series, monstrous evolution. Headed to the nail, scoop the trail. Super sleuth, a new race. Mad creator, savage nature. Worldwide web, the ebb and flow. Light years from watchful eyes, where my thoughts provide objective. The art decides to pop as prophecies. Underground societies are hard to lead. Asteroid surfing, castor oil burping. The darkest side of humanity animated. The grand awakening, plan to take it in. I demand your patronage, mobilize my battle takes. With clusters, small, empty, awesome, empty Mars. Many MCs cruise low Earth orbit. Easier for me to use my search warrant. Drift by a star, absorb it, and store it. Leave Taurus, Corbus, my galaxy's gorgeous. Quantum jump, I'm right at your doorstep. Positive contact. Positive contact. Trapped in half 
of T while I track your speed. I'm what you call a legend, dominance with Armageddon. Gives me a warm reception. Trouble war with weapons, installation. Slow on the stardust, distance 12 parsecs. Enthusiast foundings with my literary talent. Just a bit of balance, rip the silence of space. All star systems are our victims. Atomic synonymous with ominous. Implications of information, of information and entertainment. Tribe to take dialect, you gotta earn my respect. I'm like Gamma Rush to Amateurs, hit them with a cannonball. And in all this confusion, the fusion of music and mind dissipates, translucent illusions. Search the ruins with automator, hit the walls with a carbonator. Hit our missiles, just regenerate. The sonic soldiers allow us to demonstrate. Emergency dispatch, skyscrapers rip back. For the impact, they flow is mismatched. My child's protected by heat shield and ceramics. Don't panic, I landed on planet Mercury. Gave it atmosphere, set up my headquarters. I'll never get captured here. Trapped in tear, clap your ear with soul sonic, mantronic, phonic. Turn your brain to an omelet. I hold a comet in bondage with my dominance. Take a space shuttle to escape trouble. Bounce through the Milky Way. Not many MCs feel this way. This way. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> I love Deltron 3030. I really, really do. And you know, because, well, because I can, uh, I think I will play another one as well uh, in a little bit because there's another song on this album that I think is so totally cool. It's really uh, just sort of a, a nice little poke at what uh, modern society is like and how it's dealt with in the year 3030. But anyway... Back to uh, the topic of today's little missive, and um, and that is about my the interesting tales from my life as a rare coin dealer. Now, when I mention to people that I'm a rare that I'm a rare coin dealer and have been one, um, I get, tend to get asked a lot of the same questions. One of which is, "How did you get into rare coin dealing?" And uh, the simple answer is that I answered an ad in the paper. Uh, I was working at a bakery. Uh, I had uh, sort of bumped into the glass ceiling of what I could make there, and I really wanted to uh, meet a few uh, lifestyle requirements, uh, one of which was being able to make um, a seemingly unlimited uh, or have an unlimited income potential, which it sort of provides because it's all commission-based. Um, I wanted to... Uh, Never wake up to the sound of an alarm clock ever again, because waking up early to bake the scones for the commuters was something that was really wearing on me. 
Uh, and not only that, I'm a, a musician and at the time was playing in bands a lot and I needed something that accommodated that lifestyle. And so the Rare Coins uh, allowed for all of that. So I just stuck with it. I really didn't know anything about them at all and frankly just learned from my clients um, what they were and what they were worth and how to deal with it as well as getting, um, you know, good, uh, good lessons from um, the people that I worked with. But I didn't go on the road and start buying until I had been doing this for, oh, about seven years. Um, the other question I seem to get a lot is, what's the most valuable thing you've ever encountered? Well, that also leads to another interesting question. And it happened during my first year. And I was a salesman selling uh, rare coins to people, basically over the phone. I just dialed these lists of leads we had. I'd find out what people needed. And then I would find the coins and I would... Uh, and I would sell them to them. Um, sounds simple enough. And it's actually a little more complicated than that, but not much more complicated than that. Well, one of my clients was a guy on the East Coast who was an orthopedist and had a rather successful practice because the items that he was buying were most definitely some of the rarest coins in the world. Um, and he wanted the best of the rarest. That was his niche. Uh, and he also told me, don't ever tell my wife because she doesn't know I spend this much money on coins, which actually was something that was more common than not. Um, so I was sitting there looking through lists of coins and, look, and I was looking through the list of a rather high end dealer. And they're a, a dealer out of Texas that really deals in the very best of the very best. And these are coins that are really, really expensive. I happened to see one that fit his criteria and I thought, why not test him on this? So this coin was a small gold piece, just no bigger than a dime, but is very rare. This also happened to be the very finest known condition. So as you might know from watching Antiques Roadshow or something like that, that, uh, you know, condition is everything and you want to preserve the condition. And this one was just exactly in its state as it came out of the mint. It was brilliantly beautiful and mark free and shiny and great. And as a result, because this was so rare and there was only one in this condition, it was worth about a quarter of a million dollars. A lot you might say for a one coin. That's certainly what I would say. However, not what he would say. So I called him up and I said, I have this coin. Do you want to take a look at it? And he said, yes, I would. That sounds really great. But I have this problem. And the problem is I am in negotiations to purchase a new MRI machine for my practice. And it costs about the same as this coin. And I need to think about this over the weekend. Well, I'm sitting there thinking, that's sort of a no-brainer. Just buy the machine for your practice. I mean, that's the smart choice. However, for me, I was, couldn't really say that because, you know, that's the kind of talk that would get me fired. So I said, okay, fine. Think about it over the weekend and I'll call you on Monday. So I call on Monday. And rather oddly, no one answered at his practice. Okay, I call on Tuesday. Once again, nobody answers at his practice. I call on Wednesday. The receptionist answers. I said, great. We had a little code to get me past the receptionist. And I said, I used the code and told him uh, that he was expecting my call. And when she heard that, she goes, oh, well, I guess you didn't hear. And I said, no, what, what, what's up? And she's like, well, he had a heart attack over the weekend. 
And I was like, oh, my God. It's like, is he OK? And she's like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's doing all right. But, um, you know, he's probably not going to be in the office this week. I was like, OK, well, let him know that I called and, and have him call me back when, you know, it's when it's fit. And I think, OK, well, this deal's done. He calls back the next day and I said, so what do you think about that coin? And he's like, well, I had a heart attack and I basically saw God. And now I'm not going to spend all that money on coins anymore. I'm going to only work a few days a week at my practice and spend more time with my family. And I thought, well, that's cool. But how strange for me to have had a quarter of a million dollar coin on the hook on my first year of being a dealer. Have a heart attack. <laughs> And the thought of purchasing an MRI machine get in the way of making the deal when the guy actually was pretty amenable to the price and everything like that. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Never again did I ever get the chance to handle a coin that was even remotely close to that value. But uh, anyway, that was the most valuable coin story. So back to the road stories, because the road stories really tend to be the most interesting stories. There was one, I often went to the Midwest, because as, as I had mentioned earlier, the, a, a common demographic amongst coin collectors is that they are agrarian, farm folk, people that live out in the country that till the soil, uh, tend to be conservative, and they store their wealth in tangible assets like coins, almost exclusively coins. So as a coin buyer, I would go out there and mostly be meeting with an elder, elderly person. And we would essentially, I would essentially buy their entire lifetime's worth of coin collecting in one fell swoop. I met with one such gentleman who, although not uh, agrarian, he did live out in the country in uh, western Indiana, and he was an automobile mechanic. Uh, unfortunately for him, he had been diagnosed with um, uh, brain cancer, and so knew that he had a very fixed amount of time to live, and so wanted to settle uh, his affairs. So he had me come out and visit him. When I pull up to his house, I pulled around on an alley uh, and out you know, to, he, he lived in a house that was behind a main house. And there I uh, you know, pulled up to his, uh, his sort of dirt driveway, got out of the vehicle and walked out. And I noticed that in the yard, there was all these little holes, just a bunch of these little holes, basically holes large enough to fit a coffee can. Uh, you might sort of anticipate where I'm going with this. Well, he had used sort of the earth as his safe deposit box and had buried all of his treasure. I thought, how quaint. I walk into his house. Of course, after knocking on the door and he answers the door and he was, seemed to be a nice enough gentleman. And I notice that there's holes in the drywall. And that there's holes in the couch cushions. And I don't say anything at first. But after getting to know the guy for a little bit and after talking to him for a little while, I said, so, were you hiding your coins in the yard? He said, yeah. I was like, hmm, okay. How about in the walls? 
You're up to that too. And the couch over there? You bet. Basically, this guy had hidden all of his valuable possessions in the earth, behind the drywall in his house, and in the sofa cushions. Interesting, but that's not really what this story is about. He had quite a lot of bulk, not a lot of value, but he had a lot of items that were low value, and it took a long time to go through. As a matter of fact, it took about a day and a half. And while we're uh, sitting there, you know, of course, there's idle chit-chat as we get to know one another and, and sort of what you do in these situations. So I'm going through his coins and we're talking. And as it turned out, we both have a love for explosions. Yes, that's right. My Y chromosome twitches every time something explodes around me. I love the 4th of July. I love things that blow up. It's good fun. Well, so did he. And after I revealed that to him, he looked at me funny because he knew I was from Boulder and he assumed that I was just a hippie freak in, uh, you know, business casual clothing. Um, but when I revealed that uh, I enjoyed such things that, he, well, he lit up and he starts talking about all of his favorite gun and explosive type of stories, which were really fun to listen to and a great way to pass the time while I was going through the tedium of counting his pennies and whatnot. Well, after I'd finally cataloged all of his stuff and added it all up and made him my offer, he looked at me and just shook his head and said, no, I don't want to sell it to you. I said, why not? You know, I mean, we got along great. I, this is, you know, a, a real offer. I backed up all of my numbers and explained to him how I had achieved these numbers. And he just said, nope, it's just not enough. It's not that I don't believe you that this number is a good number. It's just that it's not enough. I don't want to cash it in. I'm just going to donate it to my lodge. All right, I said. Nothing I could say to argue him out of that, although I'm sitting there feeling pretty disappointed about having spent a day and a half of my time, not to mention all the effort to get to western Indiana. Well, he was a nice guy, and he recognized that I was... Uh, had been put out, and I'd gone out of my way for him, and that he had turned me down, and I was leaving empty-handed. So he said, you know, I feel kind of bad for you. He's like, tell you what, let me give you a little treat. Those words were hardly ever uttered during a uh, coin purchase uh, meeting, uh, so I sort of looked at him skeptically and then thought, well, where's the harm? So I said, great. I'd like to see this gift. So he says, follow me. And we walk out the back door and we walk into the alley and we're walking towards his garage, which is a separate building from his house. He shouts over to the other side of the alley where there was a man working in his workshop and he goes, hey, Gordon, it's going to get loud. Gordon goes, okay. As if loud happened all the time over there. So I'm standing there thinking, this is very strange, but okay, what could it possibly be? Well, it's a nice summer day in the middle of Indiana, and I'm thinking, eh, it's pleasant enough to stand out here. So he raises the door on his garage, and I see that it is packed. Packed from wall to wall, floor to ceiling, with just a lifetime's worth of stuff. Not saying he was a hoarder necessarily, but you know how one's garage can just become stuffed with stuff, especially if you don't use it for, you know, storing your vehicle. 
So I see him peering around above and behind things, and he's obviously looking for something in particular, and he doesn't quite see it. Then I see him go, aha! And then he very carefully climbs over a bunch of things and sort of deftly slides between stacks of stuff. And he comes back, and in his hand he's holding a steering wheel. Odd, I think. A steering wheel. And not only is he holding the steering wheel, but he just sort of takes the steering wheel and sort of blithely tosses it over onto the lawn. Thinking, okay, maybe he doesn't need the steering wheel, or he needs it for something else later. Either way, I'm very curious to see what he has on offer. So then he comes back out, after searching around again in a similar manner, with a long spool of wire, like, you know, a couple hundred feet of electrical wire on a spool. On, you know, a round spool. And he ties two ends of these wires to a couple of wires sticking off of the steering wheel. Odd, I think. But okay. I'm, I'm open for anything at this point. He then walks over to a John Deere riding mower that he had sitting there. Lifts up the hood and says, Watch your ears. And I say, okay, cover my ears. And he touches the leads of the other end of the wire to the battery of his ride-on mower. And at that moment, that steering wheel lets out the bang like a shotgun, and it flies eight feet in the air and returns back to Earth with a six-foot balloon coming out of the middle of it. And what he had done to entertain me, in this case was to explode an airbag, something he always drew great amusement from. And I have to admit, I thought it was pretty, pretty damn cool. And I looked at that. He's like, bet you never seen that happen before, have you? And I said, no, I definitely have not. And at that point, he's like, well, thanks for coming out. And he shakes my hand and I pick up my stuff and I get in the car and start driving away. And I was thinking to myself, you know, typically after a day and a half of work to leave empty handed, I'd be feeling pretty dejected. But I couldn't help but feel really satisfied with that encounter, that even though I hadn't done any business and I had lost, you know, a good deal of money to go there, it all seemed worth it when he exploded the airbag in front of me. And that's my Indiana story. So, let's move on. I queued up another Deltron song for you because, well... I like Deltron, and this song is really cool, as I had mentioned before, so here is Virus from the Deltron 3030 album. The video's Global going. Global controls will have to be imposed. There it is. And a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Crises precipitate change. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash the whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I want to make a super virus strong enough to cause blackouts in every single metropolis. Because they don't want to unify us, so fuck it. Total anarchy and can't nobody stop us. You see, late in the evening, 
fucked up on my computer and my mind starts roaming. I create like a heathen. The first cycles of this virus like a sin through a modem. Infiltration hits a station. No Microsoft or enhanced DOS will impede. Society thinks they're safe when bingo hard drive crashes from the rending. A lot of hackers tried viruses before. Vaporize your text like so much whiteouts. I want it where a file replication is a chore. Lights out, shut down, entire White House. I don't want just a bug that could be corrected. I'm erecting immaculate design. Break the nation down section by section. Even to the greatest minds, it's impossible to find. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I have already planned. is programmed into every one of my thousand robots. We will not hesitate. We will destroy the Homo sapiens. Y2K. This is 3030, the time of global unification. Break right through they terminals, burn them all, slaves of silicon, corrupt politicians with leaders and their keywords. FBI and spies stealing bombs, precipitate their plans in their face and catch the fever. Everybody loot the stores, get your canned goods, even space stations are having a hard time. Peace keep a seat to take our manhood, which results in the form of global apartheid. Ghettos are trash dumps with gas pumps, exploded and burned out since before the great union the last punks walk around like mass monks ready to manipulate the database or break through them human rights come in a hundredth place mass production has always been number one new earth has become a repugnant place so it's time to spread the fear that's fun to serve how long have we tried to extend our glorious empire out to the stars To bring dire straits to your environment Crush your corporations with a mild touch Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus I want to devise a virus To bring dire straits to your environment Crush your corporations with a mild touch Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus That was Deltron 3030 with Virus here on Deep Orbit Studio Presents. And uh, I've been talking to you all about uh, interesting tales from my life as a rare coin dealer, also known as a numismatist. And uh, for those of you that want to seek out some more information about uh, numismatics, the American Numismatic Association's headquarters is in Colorado Springs. 
And for those of you that are within driving distance or so of there or happen to be uh, near there at some point, they have a money museum that is absolutely worth stopping into, whether you're interested in rare coins or not. Most people really tend to be interested in money and in rare things and in valuable things. And they have some of the most interesting uh, numismatic items that there are, you know, million dollar coins, uh, you know, coins that are worth a million dollars. They have a hundred thousand dollar bill on exhibit, which, of course, was never allowed into circulation. It was just for back in the 20s and 30s when they were doing big bank transfers. They couldn't do it electronically and they didn't want to. have to have a whole lot of bags of money traveling. So they, the treasury actually made a hundred thousand dollar note. Uh, so to make big bank transfers uh, a lot easier, you can actually see one there. Um, they also have a thing called the Harry bass collection, which has nothing to do with fish, um, or hair, but a man who was named Harry bass. And he was the only one to ever collect one of every kind of coin in, uh, U.S. history, which doesn't really sound like that big of a feat until you see it and realize that it's just a huge feat. And many of these coins are worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he was the only guy to ever do this. Uh, And he actually did it in the 1950s when really at a time, probably the only time in history when one could have done it. Uh, So numismatics, pretty interesting field. I'm glad I had uh, my career as that. I'm I'm also glad that uh, I do the digital design voiceover and audio production that I do now because it's just it's where my heart is, you know, and so I love that. And if anybody needs help with those things, please go to deeporbitstudio.com and uh, send me an email. I'd love to talk to you about whatever project you might be working on. Uh, And uh, along those lines, too, I have written and illustrated a children's book called Amelia Lives Happily Ever After. And if you go to djrkidsbooks.com, you can actually see a uh, video I made of me narrating that. And you can get to know the, uh, the character Amelia and what she's all about and how she empowers girls and boys, for that matter, too. Um, and I'd love it if you guys took some time to uh, explore uh, these things that I do. Um, and I hope that uh, they might entertain you the way they entertain so many others along the way. Um, and, uh, well... That's about it for this episode, everybody. I really appreciate you all tuning in and listening to me uh, just ramble on about the interesting things that happened to me in my careers. Uh, And I'm going to leave you guys with a song from a band that I just love. I love this band. Uh, They're called Porcupine Tree, and it's a group out of uh, the U.K., Uh, Basically, it's just one guy who's written all these tunes, and he's had a few players stick around on different albums, but for the most part, it's him writing and producing all this stuff. Uh, Clearly, he's a music school trained guy, writes, you know, it's it's, you'd call it prog rock, but it's just really fascinating, interesting songs that are well-produced, well-thought-out. They take twists and turns in places that you might not imagine. And uh, this is one of those songs. It's called Trains. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you keep tuning in and check out the podcast, of course, on iTunes. Go to deeporbitstudio.com to check out past episodes and to see what my other offerings are. And uh, I really look forward to uh, entertaining you all again next week when we have Sex Talk with Sarah and Little Bird. And I believe this will be the seventh episode. And I don't know what we're going to talk about. Of course, it'll be sex. But specifically, I don't know. And I can't wait. Those are always fun-filled little radio adventures.
So be well for the next week. Happy New Year. And uh, we look forward to checking in with you again soon. Take care, everybody. So